Date with a Debut is a Words and Nerds and Breathe Art podcast co-production, recorded on a Wagbacool country. And I pay my respects to all elders past and present, and extend that to any First Nations people tuning in. Always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. On with the show. I just find the internet so fascinating, and the way that it's changed how we interact with each other, where conversations and relationships are split between the internet and real life. Yeah, I just really wanted to talk about that and the consequences of that. Hello, I'm Nick Vassilia, former host of Tell Me What to Read, author of When Men Cry, and I'm continuing this series of, with words and nerds, shining a light on debut novelists and their journey to publication. If you're looking for a new author and a new book to devour, this is the place to be. If you're looking for writing inspiration, this is the place to be. This is Date with a Debut, because nothing hits you like a first impression. And for our next episode in this series, I'm joined by Amy Taylor, author of Search History. Uh, which we'll be discussing today, which is published by Alan and Unwin, and it will be out at the time of this podcast being out in the world. Amy, welcome. Hi, pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for coming, for taking time out of your day and coming out to talk to us. First of all, let's talk as a date. Let's talk it in typical date fashion. Start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you came to start your writing journey. So I'm a writer based in Nam, Melbourne. Um, I live with my partner and my cat, Luna. Um, and I'm very fortunate at the moment to be writing full time. So I spend a lot of time at my desk um, or sometimes I go to cafes for a bit of a change of scenery. My writing origin story, I think, is pretty typical. Um, I had a mother who took me to the library a lot and I read a lot as a child. And my earliest memories of writing were after I read uh, the Magic Faraway Tree series by Enid Blyton, which in case someone's not familiar with it, it's about a group of children who have an enchanted forest in their backyard. Um, so I was very inspired by that concept and I started writing some stories of my own, which were about a group of children who had an enchanted forest in their backyard. So I think we can probably label it as fan fiction, but I can recall being compelled to do that because I have this desire to go beyond the plot lines that were given to me in the book. I was so fascinated with the world that Enid Blyton had created that I wanted to explore it on my own terms. So yeah, that, that's kind of my first memories of having that pull or that desire to want to write stories. I love it. And I love that this is actually one of the first times that we've had an author actually talk about it was a particular book or a particular series that for you, that was it. Like that was the the moment. That was your kind of Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show moment where you're like, I want to turn myself into that. And I love that it, of all people, it was Enid Blyton. That that's like yeah. such a great, such a creative writer. Um, such a yeah. fun story. I think there's been so many books that inspired me as a child, but I, yeah, I think that really I do recall that as the first moment where I actually wanted to put pen to paper and write my own version of that those stories i mean the magic faraway tree what a concept for mm. a child to read about so cool stop the podcast stop the podcast hello it is nick wasiliev here host 
of Date with a Debut, and I just wanted to reach out and say thank you to all of our incredible listeners on the Words and Nerds platform who have been listening to the podcast and sending messages of support. It has been absolutely humbling to hear from fellow authors, fellow readers, fellow writers, and fellow podcast listeners about the show. And it is a real privilege to turn you guys on to many exciting new and upcoming authors. The reason why I'm reaching out here is because one of the groups I've heard the most from is a lot of aspiring writers who have been wanting to learn more about the actual process of getting your book into publication. How do you complete a manuscript? How do you find a publisher? How do you complete the editing process? And how do you get that book printed and into stores? Of course, we cannot fully cover it in an episode of the podcast every single week, but I have another podcast that I dropped in 2021 called A Little Idea. This podcast essentially covers my entire process that I went with my debut novel, When Men Cry, from writing to publication to promotion. Over the course of this five-part mini-series, I sit down with some of the biggest names in the Australian publishing scene to cover this entire process front to back. And the best part, this entire series is completely free and available to listen wherever you get any of your podcasts. Please enjoy this brief snippet from the very first episode of that series where I sit down with Robert Salisbury, author and publisher, where he talks about some of the more unique processes that you can use to improve creating your manuscript. I invited Kate Forsyth, who's a Sydney-based author. She's written many books, over 25 books. She writes in different to different age groups and she's a very talented writer. And for every book, she keeps a scrapbook. And she brought one of her scrapbooks in and it was really fascinating because she writes fantasy. So she brought a scrapbook and she opened it up and inside were all these textures, like articles she'd ripped out, all these, this, this, this creativity that's gone through her mind, little trigger points, things that remind her of stories, of characters, of scenarios. And she crammed it all into this single resource. I, I thought that was really clever and, and just very useful to do. Because I, before then, I was your typical sort of sort of unorganized, disorganized person going around and saying, OK, I've got this idea, I'll write it down on a piece of paper, put it in the drawer. That's all very well, but actually, this writing is like a job. There's, there's, a, there's an art to it, and there's a craft to it. To hear more, head to the links in the description or head to my website, nickwasiliev.com, and check out my podcast, A Little Idea, and start your own writing journey. All right, back to date with a debut. Give us your one-minute pitch for Search History. Um, so Search History follows Anna, a 28-year-old woman who we meet just after she has fled from Perth to Melbourne in the wake of a breakup. Uh, in Melbourne, she meets Evan, who is this sort of symbolic aberration from the usual type of man that she dates. He's charming. He has his life together. He's organised. Um, and she finds that really enthralling. But she makes a pledge to herself that she will not look him up on social media before getting to know him in real life. But the temptation is just too much. And so from his social media accounts, she discovers that his previous girlfriend, Emily, died in a hit-and-run accident less than a year ago. Uh, and because Evan is unable to talk about Emily. Um, Anna is forced to use Emily's dormant social media accounts to try and figure out who this perfect ex-partner was and why Evan isn't able to talk about her. I love it. Nailed it, summarised it, and oh, what a concept. I love it. I think 
the, we are increasingly diving into the world of 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 social media and the social media dating space and this story just feels I love it I think it's such a fun interesting concept and true to its nature I think this is just this book is such a fascinating examination of how inquisitive humans are to our own detriment and how dangerous that can be not just to ourselves but also to others you cover a lot of ground in this book i see i got a feeling i could just tell that you really took your time with it with these concepts and ideas and you cover dating in the internet age you cover self-identity how we perceive other people but then also the one that really stuck stuck out to me was the expectations that we place on romantic relationships and how we go awry when things don't work out. How did you find yourself diving into these topics and covering these topics in this book? Yeah, uh, so the first seed of the idea um, came to me all the way back in 2017, and that was the sort of strange and complex and really modern experience of um, being able to visit a social media account of someone who has passed away. And although... I don't think that the, that is really spoken about that often, um, but it's a universal experience now. Um, there's this sort of, it's this really morbid statistic um, from a, a 2019 study from the University of Oxford Internet Institute. Um, and they stated that if Facebook's growth continued at the present rate, there would be 4.9 billion deceased accounts by 2100. And in roughly 50 years, if they did nothing to address it, uh, the accounts of deceased people would outnumber the accounts of living people. Um, so that's the sort of, it's, um, it's quite a universal experience to have someone you know in your life who has um, no longer with you, but is still accessible on that, that sort of like online plane, I guess. So the, that was the sort of the first seed. And then I built the idea around that just by, exploring what exactly the story was there so um, who would be best to tell that story through and most of the decisions that I made were just pure gut instinct of of what I wanted to read um, for example like choosing that Anna um, the protagonist would be dating a man whose previous partner had died was the, a decision that I made because I didn't actually want to write a book about grief um, not from the perspective of someone who was very much processing it, because I think it would be very hard to um, approach a story like search history or end up with a book like search history if a lot of the time the main character was processing grief. So she had to be quite detached. The the internet, I mean, I am just, I just find the internet so fascinating and um, just, just there's so much about it and the way that it's changed how we interact with each other. Um, and then specifically from the perspective of someone who was a child when it suddenly arrived. Um, and so you have that before and after of conversing with people purely in real life versus the after where conversations and relationships are split between the internet and real life. Um, and it, it just felt like, I, yeah, I just really wanted to talk about that and the consequences of that. And that's why in the book, 
it occasionally delves into more like a coming of age type story where you go back into Anna's past and um, explore some of the relationships that she's had through the internet growing up. Yeah, absolutely. That it's it is such it's weird that we are in that generation that straddled before internet and after internet. Um, and because people these days, it's it's such an intrinsic part of general society. It's that people forget that there was a really long period of time where we didn't rely on that at all. We didn't have anything like that at all. Um, that statistic yeah. about Facebook floors me. I'm not going to lie. Uh, about about how many deceased accounts there'd been by in the next seventy or eighty years. Let's talk Anna. You capture Anna so well in this. She's a great protagonist to examine this. She's in post breakup. She's in denial, but she's also feeling inadequacy. Uh, you know, when she's comparing herself sometimes to other people, and she's but she's also filled with longing for that for perfect relationship and there's a lot of interesting weakness to digest in that um and then as the story progresses and I know I'm gonna we're gonna try and we're not gonna stu- do spoilers here but I, I did find it really interesting that she started looking at Emily and doing the comparison game uh she became she becomes obsessive uh it almost reminded me of the morbid interest that we sometimes get with say true true crime stories you just cannot look away you're just so invested and interested in that person even and the treatment that that person received and the capabilities of the human condition and then you contrast that with evan because we learn more about evan as the story progresses and the circumstances around him and his ex and how that comes into question where did these characters come from so Anna, Anna formed first and because I, I, you know, it had to be a very specific person to go down that rabbit hole. So there were a specific set of circumstances to create that sort of character. And that was decisions like making her move to a new city where she doesn't have the voices of more logic like her best friend who we meet in the book as well um, around her all the time to talk her off those sorts of ledges it's just yeah it's just her in her head so building on that there were certain things that I added to her history to further um, encourage that behavior I guess Um, it's sort of like I often think about writing characters as like giving therapy to these fictional characters and like trying to assess why they would be the way they are and there was a lot of that like sounds a little loopy a bit crazy but there were a lot of conversations that I had with Anna in my own head like trying to assess this person because she is not like me um, despite what people would think she's quite an exaggerated person in general Um, so yeah it was it was important to make her lonely it was important to make her insecure and it was important that she had a history where her family never really spoke very openly about how they felt and things like that because that's how that's the sort of recipe to create the character that would then go so deep down that rabbit hole and be so affected by what they were seeing and um, assessing so yeah absolutely and I love that because that also can frame a lot of the other thing the other issues that comes up as she dives deeper and deeper into this space I don't want to spoil the ending again as mentioned we stay spoiler free but that leans into a a great 
point that you make about the compulsive urge that we all have to sometimes categorize other people and put them in a box a little bit, um, as well as ourselves. I want to ask you a little bit more about that, the internet, if I can, because I know that you love this, you're interested in this space, you've interested that. Do you think we as humans in the internet age can progress past this sort of categorization and space in the game of love that we drum up for ourselves after having written this book and sat with these things for a while? Probably not, no, because the desire to compare ourselves to others comes from a really, really primitive place. Social media is just a tool that allows us to do it more effectively and whenever we want, basically. So we can go and search out information about other people so quickly and so easily these days. But the actual inherent desire to compare ourselves to other people, I would imagine that cavemen were probably doing that back in the day. Cavemen and cavewomen were probably doing that back in the day. And it's it's just been, it's just that it's a survival mechanism to assess our own safety. And that's what you see in dating is, is at its core, um, a survival mechanism to ensure safety and avoid rejection. So avoid getting kicked out of the cave type stuff. <laughs> no, I don't think you get, maybe if someone went through a lot of therapy and was the most secure and evolved human ever, and they just left. Well, no, yeah, no, I don't think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> But I also want to ask you about your journey to publication. You mentioned you do writing full-time, um, which is uh, fantastic, and it's amazing that you're able to do that. What was the journey to getting this first book published like? Hmm. So I would I would say it was divided between methodical, logical steps and complete random luck. Um, there were some things that I did that were sort of, tactics in a way so I was working on a novel um, and I was also writing short stories on the side in the hope of getting something published which I had heard that that was helpful um, to capture the eye of publishers and agents and things like that so um, I was I was doing that and I applied for a mentorship through Kill Your Darlings which is an Australian publication uh, and I was paired with Emily Biddo so through 2021, she and I met in cafes, I think it was six or seven times. And she would just, she had read segments of the manuscript and she would come to me and we would have these really, really deep discussions about what I was trying to do and whether I was achieving it. And she would sort of pull up the threads of like the themes that I was maybe not even aware that was starting to show up over and over again. And she would, yeah, she would try to encourage me to maybe be more purposeful about what I was doing. Uh, and that to me was a significant step because that was the first time I'd ever had someone more objective read the manuscript and provide from their own expertise um, sort of, yeah, objective feedback about it. Uh, and then from there, I submitted the first chapter. I adapted it as a short story uh, and submitted it into a competition that Ultimo, the publisher, was holding. And it was picked as one of the winners, so it was published in an anthology. And here's where the tactic kind of comes in a little bit. I decided that I would add a little sentence to my bio that read, this is an adapted 
short story or this is this is from an adapted chapter from a novel that Amy is working on and I just put that there just in the hope someone might see it and you know <laughs> reach out which most people Speaking. say is just the most yeah. <laughs> it's, a lot of people would just say that's ridiculous because agents don't reach out but oh that's smart I, I like being... that big brain that's smart <laughs> and so then the luck comes in because my now agent Benjamin Paz was given a copy of the anthology he read the story he liked it and he saw that sentence and he found me and asked if he could read my novel so then yeah I went away and worked on it for a while and then I gave it to him and he liked it and then it all sort of it went from there I love it it's and I also just what a great opportunity to sit with someone like Emily Bitto she, um, hmm. such a wealth of knowledge and writer of just so many fantastic books and just great, just a great understanding of the, of that would be just, I'd be a sponge. It would be so, just so satisfying to just see not only you're learning your own voice and your own style, but also learning how to identify the key things that are coming out in a book that subconsciously you might not even be aware of. That would be such a fantastic and, and educational uh, experience. If I can, I'd love to also ask you about the editing process because books do not happen in isolation, despite the look and the, the fact that there is one name on the cover. I I found you know editing I often find to be the the part where the book really really take really takes shape. Was that the case for you once this book was accepted and you had a publisher, you had an agent, and it went through the process of becoming the final version that it was now? Yeah, some a lot of um, well, for a start, I had two teams working on it, so I sold uh, U.S. rights as well. So I had the um, my editors at my U.S. publisher, Dial Press, working on the editing process as well as my editors, Alan and Onwen. So I actually received they give you like a um, a letter with everyone's sort of compiled thoughts. And then I, that's in the structural edit. And then I'm to take that letter away and work on the manuscript. And I would say that for my process, it was all about just drilling a bit deeper. So just a little bit more um, detail added to characters, um, a little bit more, uh, being a little bit more clear about themes um, and acknowledging when something is coming up again and again and, and speaking from the perspective of Anna directly to the reader a little bit more clearly because I'd often try, you know, assume that the, the reader will pick that up themselves. So sometimes it was about stating, being more obvious and stating the connection between two things if I was trying to make a connection. So, yeah, so for me it was really just is it was drilling down and getting deeper into the characters and just adding more. I actually write lean drafts so I'm, I'm really not the type of person that writes 150,000 words and then has to cut heaps of stuff I'm more like a 50,000 word draft and then I have to go back and yeah paint a clearer picture and go a little bit further with what I'm trying to say but, but I really enjoyed it because I I do like to work collaboratively I'm not at all precious with my ideas. I want to hear how people have received it. To me, that's an important part of the process. It doesn't mean that I take every everyone's advice on board, but I like to hear how people respond. Absolutely, yeah. And I love that you, you start with a lean draft. I'm the I'm the opposite. I you try to flesh it out as much as possible and then cut it out. It actually sounds like it makes a lot of 
sense because then giving it color and stuff as in, in the editing process probably would be something that would just come naturally. What what advice would you give to first-time authors, people who are listening to this and going, well, I need to find out how on earth I'm going to try and create this manuscript or this idea that I've had for a while. What would be one thing that you would say to, to them? Mm. Oh, if I could say two things, <laughs> I would address... Um, I would address the first group of people, which would be the sort of uh, people that are writing a book at the very beginning of writing a novel. Um, And to those people, I would say that there's a certain phenomenon that happens when you set out to write a book. And that's when you, it's the sort of crushing realization that your skill is not living up to the idea (laughs) that you had in your head. Um, So I would say, I would, yeah, I would recommend that people that are hitting that stage, that the most crucial thing you can do is just keep going and not allow yourself to judge the quality of your work too quickly, um, especially not against a published book, uh, which can be helpful, but not until later. So yeah, don't be put off by that sort of realization when it hits. And then to, to any writers that were looking for advice, I would say find out when and under what circumstances you're most productive in your writing and replicate them as consistently as you can, which is kind of the most annoying and boring advice. And for the longest time, I rejected it every time I heard it. But with hindsight, I can see that when I finally followed it, figured out my routine, um, there was a significant shift in both the quality and quantity of my writing. So so for me, it's I wake up first thing um, and after coffee, I will write straight away. Or if I walk to a cafe, get a coffee and then write. Um, I'm not a nighttime writer. I'm not an afternoon writer. And yeah, that that's that's a pretty key part of the process, I think. Absolutely. It's, it sounds like the ultimate, kill, uh, ultimate resolution for writer's block. You just have to yeah. find that time that works ideally and then go from there. What's next for you? I know that I, I could guess that you have more books coming down the pipeline. What uh, when what will we see next from Amy Taylor? Yeah, so I'm I'm working on my second book at the moment, and it's definitely a step away from search history. So I did that on purpose to try and challenge myself. Um, but I'll summarize it really, really short as a sort of literary fiction set in Athens. So that's Ooh. what I'm working on. Now. Yeah. <laughs> we'll now move on to the rapid fire question part of the date. So I'm going to fire a bunch of questions at you. Uh, no pressure. Ask them however you like. What was your favorite book that you have read in the last 12 months? Um, Virginia Woolf, Night and Day which is yeah it's a sort of lesser known Virginia Woolf it doesn't really get as much airtime as her other more famous novels um, but I just had such a great time reading it love it do you have a favorite word Hmm, no I've got many I actually have a whole list of words in a note on my phone whenever I come across a word that I like I add it to the list I don't know why it's just a weird thing that I do no I (laughs) know that 
not too hard to answer. <laughs> That's a genius idea. I might, I might start doing that. Was there a particular, all right, let's, let's rephrase it then. Was there a particular word that as you were writing search history that you found yourself coming back to a little bit and going, oh, I really like, I'm going to drop this word in here. Oh, there were, <laughs> there were sort of words that I came across that I liked, like the word spectre or yeah, compelled compulsion was something that seemed to come to come up a lot given the content of the story but no no I, I definitely don't sit there when I'm writing and think like I want to use that word so I'm going to find a way to use it you know <laughs> where is your favorite place to read in bed on the couch or out the back in the shade on a sunny afternoon uh bed for sure bed at night is generally when I do my most most of my reading do you have a favorite trope mm. I don't know if it's a trope, but I enjoy when there's some sort of um, triangle going on. Three people in a situation, um, three, you know, that's the odd number. That's when things are always going to be a little bit awkward. Um, and so, yeah, it's not, not perhaps not a trope, um, although it's commonly used whenever there's a sort of romance involved in a novel. Um, but yeah, so groups of three people. <laughs> I like that. That's good. Love the, the triangle. I feel like you might have already answered this question in terms of your writing process, but do you, what's your favourite beverage to drink with? Sorry, oh, let, me, let me say that again. Favourite beverage to read with, rather, not drink with because you're already drinking. <laughs> mm, okay, so because I read mostly at night, it's just tea, which is really boring. But if it's a more demanding text, then, yeah, coffee. Coffee all the way. What is your favourite debut book? that you've ever read? So I'm not necessarily saying a book that came out in the last 12 months of a debut. I'm talking any debut ever. Wow. Oh, there's so many. It's, it's always just such a hard question to answer. I can give you one or two if you like. You can do maybe like, give me, I'll give you two. I'll give you two debuts. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I really loved Saving Agnes by Rachel Cusk. Um, I also really love Luster by Raven Lailani. I also really liked Love and Virtue by Diana Reed. Enjoyed that. Yeah, I sort of think of debuts as more contemporary writers because a lot of the classic novels that I read, I'm not even aware if it's their debut or not. Because um, <laughs> by that stage, they've written so many books, you know. So, yeah, that, that would probably be a list of three. I like it. It's a good list. I love that you've included... Diana Reed in there as well. Uh, just such a great writer and really kind of coming into her own. I loved seeing other people. Such a good book. Um, mm -hmm. And just love where, where her headspace is at with, the, with her storytelling. Last question. You hop into a lift and your absolute number one hero is in there. Who is it? <laughs> um. If I just had to pick someone again, so many, and it would really depend on my mood, you know, like whoever <laughs> I felt like speaking to, I, if I had to just pick someone right now, I would love to be in a lift with Rachel Cusk. Let's, all right, let's expand this a little bit then. You've got, you're in the, you're in the lift with Rachel. Uh, you're going to whatever floor it is and you have time for one question to ask her. What would you ask her? Oh, selfishly, I'd probably ask her what she's working on now. Just oh yeah 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 I, I yeah i'd probably ask her what she's working on now and i'd be so nervous that that's a good like deflection i wouldn't have to talk you know 
put put it on her and all you can do is just be a sponge for the remainder of the lift ride and just hear what she has to say and be like okay i just need to see what i can pull from from these from this from these small bits here that she's giving me i could honestly talk to you all day but i'm fully aware that you are incredibly busy and you have writing to do and people to see so i'll finish off by saying for all of our listeners who have checked this uh, who have listened this far Check out Search History, published by Alan Arneman. And if you like the show, drop words and nerds a review. Let us know what you think and who you'd like to hear from next. Amy, thank you so much. It's been great to have you on. Thank you.